as we get finished here tonight. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians, the first chapter. If you were here last Sunday night, you know that we began what I'm calling a walk through Ephesians, uh, just kind of taking it uh, verse by verse, section by section. Uh, not quite in the same expository way that I would do it on a Sunday morning, not as sermonic as much as teaching. Matter of fact, I thought tonight I would have uh, some uh, PowerPoint up here and, and even have some notes in your hands. I did not get that done because of uh, all that's gone on this week and us having company from uh, Alabama. So we will, uh, I'll work on that maybe for next time. Although next week we won't, I won't be preaching, but uh, I'll be having the, uh, the, the Grace Connect class during this time. If you're visiting with us or if you're a new member, I encourage you to be a part of that Grace Connect class starting at 4 o'clock uh, next Sunday afternoon. And uh, we will do that back in the Fellowship Hall area and enjoy just talking about who we are as Grace Baptist Church. So that'll be next Sunday from 4 to 8. Uh, and you'll learn everything you wanted to know plus some, I guarantee you. And you can ask any questions you've got of me. So it might be, it'll be a kind of a Everything you always want to ask the pastor, but we're afraid to ask kind of thing. And we can do that next Sunday afternoon and, and evening. So, but we'll have regular worship in here. So if you're not in the Grace Connect class, don't say, oh, I don't have to go. We will have to go. Todd will be preaching, and you'll want to be here to hear him and to encourage him in that time. But we're in Ephesians, and we're at Ephesians chapter 1. We looked last Sunday night at those first three verses. And basically, we talked about that being Paul's introduction, Paul's uh, greeting to the church at Ephesus. Uh, he used very common greetings, uh, grace and peace to you, grace being the, the, the Gentile greeting uh, of Chorus and peace to you, shalom being the, the typical Jewish greeting. Uh, yeah, he adds a lot, of, a lot of meat to that. He puts more to it than just a hello, how are you kind of thing. He puts to it the idea of, of we understand that our relationship in Christ, our relationship with one another is based on grace and peace, the grace of God and the peace of God that's brought about by our relationship with Christ through the grace and the power of God. And we looked at what it meant to be saints. We looked at what it meant to be those things. And then in verse 3, we just simply talked about it. And really, verse 3 is the first verse of the whole section we're going to begin looking at tonight and over the next few times that I uh, preach on, on Ephesians on Sunday evening. Again, not next week, but beyond that. Uh, because chapter, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, in the, in the Greek language, is really one long sentence. It's, it's, not a, it's not like we break it down into verses and, and give it that. It's just one long sentence. It's one long thought. Now, it carries with it, if you will, three thoughts, and there's really three stanzas, if you will, in, that, uh, in those verses, 3 through 14. Uh, and it's, it's an amazing thought because there's three stanzas. It talks about three persons of the Trinity, and it gives us three time perspectives in those verses. We're not going to look at all three of those tonight. I told you it would be short tonight because I'm tired tonight. But we're, and we're going to look at all three of them anyway. We're going to look at the first one tonight, and that's verses 3 through 6. But I do want to read the whole sentence. I want to read the whole concept, and you get a feel of it uh, so that you'll understand as we look at that first section what's following in the next two that we'll look at over the next few times. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we talked about those spiritual blessings last Sunday night. Uh, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, 
according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, summing up, all, uh, summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, who, His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given, us, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory." Take a deep breath. I, I, if you'll notice there in your translation, there are periods and there are commas and there are various punctuation marks. But I want you to understand in the Greek, there was none of that. There were no periods. There were no commas. There were no hyphens. There were no dashes. It was, it was just one run-on long sentence that it gives the, the unexpressible glory, the unexpressible truth that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate in those short verses. Uh, I kind of try to read it without stopping, without pausing. And it's hard to do because there's a lot there being said. And, and Paul is bringing all that truth to us. He's saying, listen, it's the Trinity. It's the whole Trinitarian nature of God that is wrapped up in our salvation. It's the whole Trinitarian nature of God that we understand comes about in order to bring about our relationship with God. It's God the Father, it's God the Son, and it's God the Holy Spirit. And we don't separate those to understand our salvation. And Paul certainly doesn't want to separate them here. But what he does is, he says, I want you to understand that in time and in place, in life and in relationships, in movement and in work, the Trinity is involved in your salvation. The Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in bringing you to faith in Christ and giving you newness of life. Now, the time perspective that we're going to look at for just a few minutes tonight in this first section is, is the past. It's the first stanza of this section, and it looks to the past, and the person of the Trinity that it focuses on is the Father. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 4 that we've been looking at that that we come to worship the Father, and, and it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or in the mountain there in Samaria, what matters is do you worship the Father in spirit and in truth? And, and what Paul is wanting to do here is very much what John was doing in relating that account of Jesus with the woman at the well. He's saying, I want you to understand that primarily in our understanding of worship, primarily in our understanding of the work of salvation, God the Father must be and should be our first focus. And he's our first focus in this first stanza of this great statement that Paul makes in verses 3 through 14. He starts out by talking about, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're not, we're not going to repeat that tonight, but last week we talked about how we as Christians have been blessed with every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have at our resource as believers the presence of God by the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ within our life, and, and we have need of nothing. Now, we may, we may look around us temporarily and physically and financially and say, well, we could use a lot more money. We could, we could use a bigger house. We could use a bigger car or maybe use a car that works. You know, any number of things we could say, well, may, oh, I think we need those. I'm not sure that I've been blessed with those things. But what Paul is saying here is the things that really matter, the things that are really significant, the things that really have an eternal bearing on your life have all been given to you in Christ. You are, you are super blessed. You are hyper blessed because of the work of Christ, because of the work of the Father, because of this Trinitarian nature of our salvation. Then in verses 4 through 6, he talks about this concept in your salvation. He talks about the fact that you are chosen by God. Now, now that's, a, that's a phrase and that's a concept that scares a lot of people. People get all nervous about that. You are elect of God is another way Paul puts it in another part of his writings. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, and we'll get to that at some point in our study of John on Sunday morning. But here Paul says, I want you to understand that if you are in Christ, if you are a part of the family of God, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, I want you to understand that he chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world. You are chosen by God. You are chosen by the Father. There is a, there is a, a, a thing there that ought to do two things to us. The first thing it ought to do is it ought to humble us. It shouldn't make us proud. It shouldn't cause us to puff up somehow and say, wow, look who I am. No, that's not it at all. Because what Paul is saying is here, what you could not do for yourself, what you could not accomplish for yourself, what you are absolutely and totally unable, unable with an inability to do, God has done for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a humbling thought. I know we live in a day that likes to think that what I do what I need, what I want, I can do. We live in a day of self-sufficiency. We live in a day of, uh, that, that we've been told from, from grammar school. You know, you've got to have a good self-esteem. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got you to know that if, if you don't toot your own horn, nobody's going to toot it for you. And so you, you, you go out into the world and you say, boy, if it's to be, it's up to me. And Paul says, in salvation, if it's to be, it's up to the Father. As the Father's work in you, that has brought about salvation. Now, in, in these verses, verses 3 through 5 particularly, I, I want you to see, really 3 through 6, the whole thing, I want you to see the things he says about this choosing by God, this being chosen by God. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless before him. Paul starts out by saying, I want you to see the source of the choosing. The source of the choosing is God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has purposed to save a people. God has purposed to save a people unto himself, to bring them into the family of God. And, and, and you know, it, it's amazing that we want to say, well, if, if that's what some people want to say, not we, but some people want to say, well, if that's the way it is, I don't want anything to do with God. If I didn't earn it myself, I don't have anything to do with God. Well, we have to understand we can't earn it. We can't do it. 
And it's based on Him. God the Father is the source of this choosing. The basis of the choosing, he says, is his sovereignty. It, it's because of according, if you will, in verse 5, according to the kind intention of his will. He has, preced, he has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. King James says, according to his own good pleasure, the Father's good pleasure, the free will of God, if you will to do what he has set out to do. And the basis of the choosing is his will and his kind intention. I want you to see that. God's work in salvation is based on his kindness, his kind intention toward his people. It, it's not a harsh thing. It's not a, it's not a capricious thing. It's not an arbitrary thing. It's a purposeful thing according to his kind intention. Paul says, I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp that because it's important if you're going to walk in Christ that you understand the, the security and the solemnness and, the, and the, the breadth of the salvation that has been given you in Christ. Then he talks about the time of this choosing. The time of this choosing is not today. But it says that he did this before the foundation of the world. Verse 4 just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. When was, the, when was before the foundation of the world? Was it back in Jesus' day? Was it back in David's day? Was it back in Joseph's day? Was it back in Moses' day? Or Noah's? Or Adam and Eve's? No. The point he's making here is, is it, it predates all of human history. It's before the foundation of the world, before there was a created order, before he ever created anybody and before anybody ever fell into sin, God, by his own good intention, by his own purpose, by his own kind intention, has purposed to save for himself a people. You say, wait a minute, how can he purpose to save for himself a people before he even knew that the fall was going to take place? Well, I hope you don't say before he even knew that the fall was going to take place. Because God in his omnipotence, God in his omniscience, he knew the fall, he knew of the sin before he ever created the world. And before that time, he chose for himself a people. We call it the church, we call it the family of God, we call it those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. But the time of his choosing was before the foundation of the world. So you have the source, you have the basis, you have the time, and you have the means in verse 4. The means of his choosing is in him. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In Christ Jesus, he has predestined us to the adoption of his son through Christ Jesus to himself. The means of the choosing or the sphere of the choosing is in Christ. There's no one who is chosen by God who is out of Christ. There's no one who says, well, I don't want anything to do with Christ. I don't want anything to do with the gospel, but that's all right because I feel like I'm chosen by God. I just don't want anything to do with Christ. No. Paul said, I want you to understand the, the means of that is in Christ. And the way you know that you are a 
part of this chosen body, this chosen believers, is that you are in Christ. You have trusted Christ. You have put your faith in Christ. You have come to Christ. That's evidence that the means have been affected within your life. Who are the objects of the choosing? Fifthly, the objects of the choosing are in verses 4 and 5. And it's, and it's specified and clearly said, us, we, us again. It is, blessed, it is he has chosen us. He has, that, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He has predestined us. Paul is talking there about believers. He's talking about those who are in Christ. Those who have come into faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about everybody. There's not this universal thing. We all, everybody experiences the, 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 the gift of God's salvation indiscriminately without coming in Christ. It's only in Christ. The objects are those who are in Him. Us. We. Us. The motivation is His love. In, in verses five and uh, 4 and 5, really, it says in it was in love that those last two words of verse four that the translators put a period after him and put in love there in the New American Standard. I don't think in the I think in the King James they put a period after love, blameless for him in love. But it really is in love he predestined us to the adoption as his son. It was in love that he has called us to himself. It's not a matter again. It's not a matter of an arbitrary thing. It's not a matter of, you know, some people picture that as saying, God saying, okay, any, meeny, miny, mo. That's not what he said. There was intention, there was purpose, and there was love that was involved in it. But what I want you to see about this, because this is vital, is we can, we can talk about the, the source and the basis and the time, the means and the objects and the motivation. What I really want you to see tonight, before we go, is the goal of this choosing. The goal. Because he, he, he gives you the, the intermediate understanding and, and he, he gives you the, the, the immediate understanding and he gives you the ultimate understanding in these verses. And this is the, these, are, these are verses that, are, that, that some people struggle with because they see that word predestined and they say, oh, I don't believe in predestination. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, you've got to believe in predestination, folks. It's in the Bible. Now, you believe different things about it, I suppose. You believe about it in different degrees, I suppose. But you cannot say, I believe the Bible, and I don't believe in predestination. You can't do that because it's in the Bible. The Word is there, not just in this passage, but other places. So don't, don't let that Word scare you. It's a good Word. It shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't put us on a defensive. It's a Word that Paul chose very carefully. And this is what he says about the goal of this choosing. He says, first of all, the immediate effect of that, the immediate effect of our immediate goal is that we become God's children. We become the children of God. We are adopted into his family. In, in verse 5, he says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. The theological idea, is, idea here is justification. We are justified, we are declared not guilty by God the great judge of the universe, and we are justified, and in that justification we are adopted. Adopted into his family. Brought into his family. Made a part of his glorious family. 
justify. This whole idea of adoption, J.I. Packer says that, that the doctrine of adoption is the heart of the gospel. And I, I like that. I believe that. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the heart of the gospel is that we have been adopted into to the family of the king of all creation. We have been adopted into the family of God. We sing a songwriter sometimes, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, of the family of God. That is not just rhetorical singing if you are in Christ. That was the purpose that he sent Christ into the world. That was the purpose for his work before the foundation of the world in choosing for himself a people. It was that we might be adopted and brought into his family and justified by grace before him. Even though we are sinners, even though we we don't deserve it, even though we deserve the exact opposite of it. We deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. We deserve being cast out of the presence of God. We deserve all that. But because of the kind intention of His will, He has adopted us into His family. I think a few days ago, a few weeks ago, personally, I think one of the most beautiful things in life, I haven't done it and I've I, I can't, I, I haven't, uh, I'm too old to do it now. But I think one of the most beautiful things is adopting a child who doesn't have any right to be in a person's family, but who because of grace and because of your love, you say, I want that baby, I want that child, I want to bring them into my family. There was an article in the Tennessean down in Nashville, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago by one of my former sta- about one of my former staff members and his wife. When we uh, moved to uh, Orlando, and he was the interim youth pastor, and he was getting ready to go to seminary, but he was with me for about a year, and Dwayne Hastings was his name, and, and Dwayne and Marla had uh, two children. We got there. They had twins about a week after I got there. They were my first hospital visit. My first hospital visit here was Braden, and, uh, we, uh, but there it was, uh, it was the, the twins, and, and then later they had another child, and, and so they had five children, and those children are now all grown and gone out of the house. And, and the, uh, the, paper, the article in the paper is they've adopted three children in their 50s and said uh, not wasting, 50-somethings are not wasting their empty nest or something like that. Now, you know, bless their heart, Dwayne and Marla are better people than I am. <laughs> That's all I, I mean, I was, it, was, it was a beautiful story about adoption and I sent it out to all sorts of people and and said you know I know this guy he's a friend of mine what a big heart he and Marla have and and yet their heart is tiny compared to the heart of God he's adopted us into his family who were rebels to his name rebels to his call and yet he's called us to himself. That's the immediate effect that we, be, be, we become the children, adopted children of God. Then there's a, an intermediate effect, if you will, and that is that we become godly. And in verse 4 he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, listen to this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The purpose, the, the intermediate goal of our salvation is our becoming holy. We said last week we are saints by virtue of our being in the family of God. 
means we are sanctified, we are set apart by His work, by His grace. And now Paul says, I want you to understand that, that the, one of the goals, the intermediate goal of, of this salvation, of this work of God in your life, is that you will become godly, holy, blameless before Him. And we know that positionally, we are. If we're in Christ, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, according to Scripture, and we stand there, and as God looks at us, He sees His Son's righteousness. It's been imputed to our account. We now stand in His righteousness. We don't have our own righteousness. Isaiah says our righteousness is like filthy rags. We don't have our own righteousness, but we have the righteousness of Christ, and we stand in it. But Paul said that's not all there is. There is that there is that positional righteousness, but there is also to be a practical godliness that is to be worked out in your life. And that's the goal. That's the goal of salvation. Is that today you are growing in your relationship with Christ? The, the theological idea, idea there is, is the idea of sanctification, progression, growing, maturing, changing. Was it, it was John Newton, the, the great writer of Amazing Grace, that said, "I am not, not I am not what I should be, but by God's grace, I am not what I am not what I used to be, what I was." That. There's still a lot of growth to be had, but there's a lot of growth that's already taken place if you're in Christ. That's the glory of sanctification. It's the glory of His work in your life, adopting you into His family, and then working to bring you about in holiness and blamelessness before Him, not just positionally, but practically. And of course, in reality, we won't see that until the final day that we stand before Him in heaven. So there's an immediate there's an immediate effect. We're brought into his family. There's an intermediate effect that we, become, we are becoming godly. We are becoming more like him. And then there's an ultimate effect of this work of God, the work of the Father in our salvation that Paul is focusing on here in verses 3 through 6. The ultimate goal is that God's grace be praised. Look at verse 6. To the praise, all this, all this, adopted made holy, made blameless, standing before Him blameless, all of this to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He has freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Can you let that sink in for just a minute? He adopted you into His family and justified you. Gave you new life. Made you a part of the family of God. Then he, then he began to work the work of sanctification with you by his Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that two sermons from now. But, but he began to work on that, and he began to change you into his likeness. He began to make you more godly. He began to make you more like Christ. Not, everything, not like you will ultimately be, and not like you should be even, but more and more like Christ, releasing the power of sin over your life on a day-by-day basis. And all of that that His grace may be praised in and through and by your life. All through this, these three stanzas, you're going to see that phrase come back again, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His grace. I mean, Paul is, Paul is just in a worship mode here where he's just, in these three verses, these four verses, he's praising the Father. 
praising the Father for His work before the foundation of the world. But He says, your life will ultimately be to the praise of His grace, the praise of His glory. And the theological idea there is glorification. It won't fully come until the end of the road, but it will come. Your life is simply reflecting the grace and the glory of God. Standing in His presence, sinless. Standing in His presence, no longer affected by indwelling sin and no longer affected by sin around us. We are in the area, in the, in the home that has been prepared for us and we are there with, with the Father, we're there with the Holy Spirit, we're there with the Son, we're there with the Godhead in one Experiencing life that simply spends eternity praising Him. But even now, our life on this earth, as we are saved, justified, as we are growing, sanctified, ought to have as its focus, ought to have as its goal, glorification. You see, ultimately, redemption is not the purpose that is the means by which the ultimate purpose is achieved, and the ultimate purpose is glorifying God in everything we do. We are saved that we might glorify. You know, I know in America we live in this individualistic culture. It says, no, I'm saved because that's for me. It's all about me. That's why I was saved. So that I might feel good, so that I might be happy, so that I might be peaceful. All those things happen. All those things are a reality. And I thank God for all those things. But the reason that we are given peace, the reason we are given joy, the reason we are given eternal life, the reason our sins are forgiven is that we might glorify Him in everything we do and everything we say. I, I think it's best summed up in the words of that great old hymn. Blessed be the name of Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, that's, that's it. Paul is saying here, as he's given us his Trinitarian view of salvation, that's a beautiful view, that God the Father is intimately involved in your salvation. You know, again, we've, we, we had pictures throughout contemporary church history, particularly in the 20th century and the 21st century, that kind of pictures God is up there mean and the Father is up there wrathful, and, and He is wrathful. And He's looking down to earth and saying, I'm going to just destroy them all. And the Son says, no, please, Father, don't do that. Father, Father just let me go, and I'll, I'll go and I'll do something to, to clean up the mess they've made. And Father, if you just won't destroy them, I'll go and take care of this. Not that at all. The Father purposed to send the Son by His grace and for His glory. It's, uh, it's beautiful. We don't have the Godhead fighting over our salvation. We have the Godhead involved, the full Godhead involved in our salvation, bringing us to faith, giving us life bringing us into the family, changing us from, from darkness to light, changing us from, from people who are in rebellion against God to people who love God, and growing us to 
through the entirety of our life. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the Father. Next time, we're going to look at the, at the work of the Son in verses 7 through 12. We're going to look at the work of the Son in this salvation, in this redemption. And it is just as glorious and just as humbling and just as beautiful as the work of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that there are words there that we can't, don't fully understand and, and, Lord, probably won't fully understand them until we, well, we may not even fully understand them in heaven because we won't have all knowledge in heaven. But we'll have everything you want us to know. And you've told us this for a reason. Lord, help us rejoice in it. Help us be humbled by it. Help us see your work in bringing about our salvation. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I, I thank you for our time together today, meeting new friends who came to just come through the doors and see what your great gift is here to us. Father, I pray that if you will just help us to minister to this community faithfully and effectively the gospel of your truth. Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. In the name of Jesus, our living Lord. Amen.